dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Associate Editor Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Associate Editor Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, first day of school today, right? Yeah. Got them off and out the door, out the door today, full of school supplies and enthusiasm. (laughs) How was it? There was no tears. No tears? <laughs> no tears from anybody. They were that, well, your youngest is kindergarten? Yeah, he's kindergarten. He went to pre-K last year all day, eight to three, so he's kind of used to the routine by now, so hopefully he won't be too <laughs> disgruntled when he gets home. Do they have all-day kindergarten here? Yes. Oh, man, I loved half-day kindergarten. Because that meant I got to go home at lunch because I was a morning kindergartner because I was a county kid. Yeah, so was I. So the county kids all had the morning kindergarten because then the buses left at lunch and took you home. And then the city kids all had the the afternoon kindergarten. I thought that was always kind of... we rode bus when we were in kindergarten, but I could be mistaken. I don't remember. Chapman School District was three quarters of Dickinson (laughs) County, so you pretty much had to ride the bus. (laughs) There was one little boy in the lunchroom, and I say little with a grain of salt because he looked like maybe a first grader or second grader, and he was bawling, did not want to leave, have mommy leave him this oh, morning. And Poor little guy. Glad my children didn't see that, <laughs> especially Chance. It spreads. It's contagious. The tears are contagious. I don't care what they say. We'll see how their pulses are when I go pick them up. <laughs> So we got the school supplies finally bought, though. On Friday. But folks, this has been a saga. School supply shopping has been a saga for her. Thank God I'm single and Maggie, the Maggie Mayhem, the little schnauzer, doesn't need anything but kibble and treats. The last few years, I just kind of picked them up, picked up the school supplies as I had time and I had money. And this year, I just totally dropped the ball and (laughs) said, I guess I better go the Friday before school started. Yeah, but... The school supply lists just get more and more complicated every year. Uh, I mean, I had crayons and blunt edge scissors and a glue stick and a box of Kleenex, and that was pretty much what was in my little (laughs) tiny backpack. You didn't need five boxes of crayons and six glue sticks and whatever else that was on the list. Are they feeding these kids crayons in place of lunch? I don't know. A friend of mine, she is a kindergarten teacher at the school the boys go to, and she said... Some kids go through a box of crayons about every quarter, so that's four boxes there, and sometimes you need a spare. Alrighty then. Yeah. Well, at least that's good news for the demand side for our soybean growers. I guess so. And <laughs> I was a little disgruntled at Walmart because they have all the stuff shoved in the middle of the aisle, you know, all the the most needed items, and mm-hmm. there was three boxes of crayons in their little bin that they had there and I'm like okay where do I need to go and luckily they had another stash of Crayolas 
in the other aisle. So we found everything but the scissors, and they weren't blunt in scissors. I'm serious. I think this is a vast conspiracy by the the soybean board to uh, <laughs> to raise domestic soybean consumption, make every child in the United States need five boxes of crayons. Uh, that right there will lift us out of whatever we're in. <laughs> well, the list always prefers certain brands too. So uh, you know what it is. But here's what I don't get. They're use everybody's using an iPad now anyway. Are they really coloring that much? Are they really using the number two, the Ticonderoga number twos? <laughs> well, from the looks of the papers that come home in the school bags, yes, they do. <laughs> I hope they don't use the iPads and stuff very much because my third grader, his handwriting sucks, <laughs> for the lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to have really pretty decent handwriting, and then I became a reporter. And yeah. now, if you're, if I'm interviewing you and you happen to look down at my notebook... I've seen sheer panic in people's eyes. I'm like, don't worry. I know what I'm writing down. And they're like, but but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's, that's cool. not supposed to make sense to you. Now, is it? <laughs> that's why you have a voice recorder. <laughs> hey, what was your favorite school supply as a kid? Probably a trapper keeper because they were the most coveted item when we were in grade school. And did you have the horse trapper keeper? I don't think I did. I think it was just plain. I had a Care Bears cap. Trapper keeper. <laughs> yep. I was all about that Care Bear stare. Yep. <laughs> you know, I miss I miss the, the whole going and, and getting the school supplies because there is nothing better than the smell of fresh crayons and fresh paper and pencils straight out of the yep. sharpener to just be like, yes, I am ready to learn. Well, I went home at lunch and let the dogs out and got the school supplies and since it was supposed to be 100 degrees, I brought the crayons in with me to the office because I was thinking, you know, <laughs> hope they don't melt. And my car smelled like school supplies. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I could be a teacher, but I do miss going back to school. I really miss. I, I was a, I, I loved school. It was the best. I got to read. I got to learn new things. And then I had to go home and do chores. I mean, come on. <laughs> Who didn't love school? Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, we had some, speaking of school, so we were talking in the office today, there's been a little bit of hubbub in Wichita over school lunches, and you and I, we kind of come at this from different points of, of view, because, um, to explain to our listeners, evidently in Wichita, to simplify it, uh, the school district can qualify for free lunches for everybody district-wide. Which, Wichita is a large metropolitan right. do you describe it that way area yeah and so this is a big chunk of change but the school district has chosen not to because they get more out of having their um, families fill out the forms for free and reduced lunches in and as far as they get more from uh, assistance from the state mm-hmm. versus they get everybody's lunches paid for now we come at this from different angles you know both of us we, we probably could have qualified for free and reduced lunches yes. as, as farm kids, but our parents did not fill out those forms because that was just not done in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And we ate hot lunches every day yep. at school. Of course, they didn't have breakfast at school like they do now. Yeah. And, and I get that the, there's a reason why we provide lunches for students at school, because not everybody has the opportunity to eat at home, and full bellies are able to learn a little bit better. I mean, they're quieter in class. They're not as disruptive. They're 
Hopefully. <laughs> and, and they're actually, you know, able to learn. I, yes. I get the solid reasoning why we're providing lunches. I just sometimes I wonder, are we, are we bending over backwards too far one way or another? And, and here's another positive. You know, we're using commodities that Americans are growing. American farmers are growing in, in those school lunches. I mean, that was, in theory, how we started the hot lunch program, yeah. right? Yeah. I get a little disgruntled because they say, you know, these kids don't have a meal if they don't eat at school. If they don't have a free lunch at school, they may not have a meal. And I have seen the go-home packs that they send home on the weekends with some of the students. And then you see on social media, on the local chat page, people giving this stuff away because their kids won't eat it. So it's a little disheartening that way. And I get frustrated with the free and reduced lunch, the application, because it takes 10 minutes to fill the dang thing out. They mm-hmm. want all this information from you. And we all, we make too much money and we never qualify. Mm-hmm. We have bills like everybody else does. Yeah. And there's some stuff that we can't afford. And if I could save, hell, I spent probably at least probably close to $4 a day when he was in preschool. Mm-hmm. Two meals, breakfast and lunch, five days a week, that's 20 bucks a week, times four weeks. Wow. And it adds up, I mean. Well, that's a bill payment. Yeah. You know, that's, um, that's, that's like a- That's a feed a, bill. That's a feed <laughs> bill. That's electricity for yeah. a house in town, you yeah. know. Um, my electric bill is 120 or so regularly, right yeah. about there. I mean, yeah, it adds up. Yeah, and they won't eat the hot lunch anyway, so we went to the grocery store and got lunch, school lunch supplies and had to have the discussion that we are not eating this stuff unless it's going to school for lunch because the little one thought it was just snack-a-palooza last night. But we have to, there has to be a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. Because here's the thing, nobody wants kids going hungry, but at the same time, you know, my parents, they... There were times that they were able to work through some of the, hey, you're a little bit late on lunches. Yeah. And that was by the grace of an understanding school secretary (laughs) who was just like, oh, well, you know, they'll get the check to us. It all washes out in the end. Mm -hmm. We used to be able to do that. We can't do that in the school districts now. Because people take advantage of it. Yeah, there's no leeway now because of, of, you know, they they just, they do. They take advantage of it. It would be much simpler if they had the lunches provided and everybody ate the same thing mm-hmm. or was offered the same thing mm-hmm. because when they had the kindergarten jump start here they had breakfast that everybody got that was in jump start and it was fruit and yogurt and pop tarts and you know breakfast ready-made breakfast stuff mm-hmm. cereal and stuff and when you have kids bringing lunch like mine brought mm-hmm. they're going to bring stuff that this kid's not going to get or that kid's not going to there's going to be trading. There's going to be trading and all that stuff. Why not feed them the same thing and just be done with it and not worry about the lunch cards and all that other hassle? And See, I think I'm with you there. I honestly do. I, if everybody has this, it's it's like the military. The military, you have yeah, one lunch, yeah. right? No choices. There's, I mean, limited choices. I'm, I'm sure that there's choices in the lines now. But, you know, you go through the line, you, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit, right? Yes, that's what my dad used to say. <laughs> my dad, too. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the answer of trying to level some playing field here yeah. so everybody gets a, f- a fresh start to the day yeah. and they and they can all learn. And I think that's ultimately what we all want. I don't have kids in school, so I don't have skin in the game. 
but one of those kids someday is going to be taking care of me in my nursing home. <laughs> I'd like for them to know what a CC is. Yes. And to make sure I don't get too many of them of my medication at one time. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's in my best interest if we, if tomorrow's doctors and nurses and whatever have the best education possible. So yeah. anyway, that's, that was some of our, our conversation <laughs> over school lunches <laughs> and such. Um, let's see, what else did I do this weekend? Went on a double date with my bestie and her husband and my, my fella to Garden City. And by double date, I mean all four of us had lunch, I had supper together. And then you all split up? And then we split up. <laughs> <laughs> she and I went to go pl- go paint cactuses or cacti at uh, Garden City Arts. And then the fellas decided to have a fella date by going to um, Menards and Home Depot and uh, a few other places, <laughs> which... That's pretty much what guys do. In fact, I saw something the other or this weekend about um, Harbor Freight is just Hobby Lobby for men. Yeah, I saw that too. And it pretty <laughs> much is. It really is. Changing my mind. <laughs> but uh, of all the paint nights we've done, Kayleen, and you and I, we've done you know some together. I've I've never been I've never been on the struggle bus as much <laughs> as I was painting that cactus. I don't know what it is. My brain couldn't function, you know, trying to paint 3D on a 2D canvas. Yeah, I struggled so hard that I'm not going to be able to take, I mean. Did you use the KISS method? I did. Use Keep it kiss. simple, stupid. I even, I even used the, the outline that, that um, Katie at Garden City Arts provided. I, I did everything to be as simple as possible, and my brain just did not click over into shading. So it pretty much looks like striped cucumbers nice. to be polite <laughs> um I'm, I'm not gonna be able to show that painting in polite company <laughs> maybe i should get you some markers and, and redo it a little bit i'm actually thinking about going and getting a cricket and like you know cutting out really pretty words and some pretty scroll you know putting it over the top of and it putting it over the top of it <laughs> something like um, you know, we stick together. Yeah. Har, har, har. You can whitewash it and then put the letters over it. Oh, there we go. That'll work. <laughs> so it's not as noticeable. <laughs> not as blatant that they're striped cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took pictures on Sunday evening, and before that, we had to take the pig over to the butcher house, the butcher, oh. whatever Sean's been calling it, the slaughterhouse. I'm like, no, it's just the butcher. Oh, how's he doing? He hasn't really said much about it, so. Does he know that she's going to be in your freezer? Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, I thought we weren't going to tell him that. Well, he went with his dad to take her over there, so. And so his dad decided to tell him that this is what's <laughs> happening. She's going to come back in nice, neat little packages. I don't know what the conversation was. I <sighs> had to stay at home and take pictures, so. That is always an awkward conversation, <laughs> especially when you raise livestock and yeah. they end up in your freezer because, you know. If you're like my family, you don't look at them by date of whatever's on the package. You're like, oh, that's Elmer. <laughs> no, don't give my hamburger a name. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see when what happens when, when she comes back. <laughs> How are you doing? My husband kind of laughed at me when I told her bye and washed her off because it was 100 degrees when he decided to take her over there. So I'm like, they overheat very quickly Real we don't quick. want a dead pig before we even get over there yeah so well hon there's gonna be more pigs yeah there's plenty more pigs 
Just stop naming them. <laughs> I didn't name her. <laughs> Don't name the steer. <laughs> so do you have a comment about back to school or livestock that ends up in your freezer? You can drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. In this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the August 19th print edition. We'll have interviews from our recent sorghum slash wheat you from K-State's Romulo Lolato and Terry Griffin. And then, of course, Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have some final thoughts. So you got the kids on the bus. It's just you and the farm dog in the air conditioning for now. So sit back, take a sip of coffee, and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's cover stories from Jenny, Not Your Grandma's Recipe Booklets, Wheat Farmers Reach Out to Food Bloggers to Spread Their Message. She spoke with Kansas Wheat's Jordan Hildebrand and Marsha Boswell about the organization's work to tie food bloggers and influencers to Wheat's message to consumers. Inside, we have a recap of USSEC and USGC delegates visiting Southeast Asia to learn about the region's use of U.S. soybeans from Kayleen, and that's on page three. We have coverage from Jenny over the WASDE report and other USDA reports as well. On our opinions and editorials page, page six, managing editor Dave Bergmeier writes about how the Tyson fire stings the whole cattle industry. Seymour clearly writes about bringing Washington to Iowa, and Ron Supis, Western Kansas wheat farmer, writes to the editor about the future of wheat in Kansas. On pages 10 to 13, we have updates from our All Aboard Harvest crews from the road. Brought to us by John Deere, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, and the High Plains Journal. And for added photos and videos in the popular combine cam, visit us online at allaboardharvest.com. Folks, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com or you can always call us at 1-800-452-7171 we want to hear from you Alrighty, so we are with uh, Romulo Lulato. Did I get it right this time? Yeah, yep, right on. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get it right. We're with Romulo Lulato, um, Kansas State University Wheat Extension Specialist. Romulo, you spoke today at Sorghum Slash Wheat U. Um, first time we've combined the two together, but you were our wheat specialist today. So it was a challenging year for wheat growers. Yeah, Jenny, definitely it was a very challenging year. I mean, from the beginning of the growing season that we had a lot of rainfall, I mean, parts of the state getting as much as 10, 11 inches of rainfall during the month of October. 
uh, or more if we count November as well up to 20 inches in depending on where in the state so very very challenging year to get started so that really caused two very different crops mm -hmm. an early planted one that overall was actually uh, looking really good through the winter had a very good yield potential uh, and a very late planted one so we have a gap there of 20 days and nothing got planted we saw that on the wheat tour it was you know hit or I mean it, it just kind of felt from one field to the next you just you know did the farmer get in before his neighbor that tar that type of thing huge differences definitely huge differences there and that that w was true all the way until the end of the season but still depending where we were in the state so we had these two very different crops early and late planted but then we also have another layer there that is either central kansas or western kansas mm -hmm. this year the central central kansas crop was just too many things going on, uh, excessive amount of moisture. Uh, there were parts of South Central Kansas that during the growing season got over 60 inches, so 60 plus inches of rainfall during the season. So in the central part of the state, we're seeing a lot of water logging, uh, a lot of variability between fields, some hail damage. Uh, so by whenever uh, a lot of with disease pressure as well with all the moisture. So when, whenever harvest was about, uh, we were getting reports of the same farmer with the ma same management harvesting 60 bushel per acre, per acre crop in one field mm -hmm. and across the road 20 bushel per acre crop. So water logging was a huge deal in central Kansas. Well, it, and then we also talked with uh, Justin Knopf and the flooding issues. How does that translate into even being able to get back into the field? I mean, you're going to have to scrape off tons of, of topsoil before you can even plant, right? Uh, definitely, yeah. So uh, all the rain that uh, those guys in Central Kansas got this year was just so challenging for so many reasons, right? Getting into the field, getting operations done, uh, the wheat plant getting drowned out and, and very just large portions of the field prematurely dying and turning white beforehand, right? Just, uh, just losing yield there. So a very, very variable crop in the central part of the state. Uh, we also had quite a bit of scab infections because uh, of the amount of rain around flowering that we had so this was a above average scab uh, crop which is going can cause concerns for next season now on the other hand we had the western crop that was mm -hmm. almost near perfect conditions right i mean it was beautiful yes this year we were sampling several fields we had a lot of research out there as well we have plots go well above 100 bushes per acre and talking to growers they had the entire fields go well above 100 bushes per acre as well now, uh, of course, it wasn't the, the average, but uh, perhaps a few that typically yields 30 was actually yielding 60 or 70 this year, uh, and the guys who were actually managing it were going uh, 100 plus. So near, I mean, uh, could almost say near perfect weather conditions there in western Kansas. Some, uh, some of that uh, very long and nice grain filling period, similar to what we had in 2016, mm -hmm. in a different way, but still similar, right? So that really benefited. Uh, farmers especially those that apply the foliar fungicide that made a huge difference this year um, so these two very different crops and, and that gives us the chance to to take a look at how these varieties are performing uh, across the state right taking with a grain of salt that that much variability that we saw in central Kansas is going to reflect on yields so it, we can't just look at one year back in data we really need to look at a few different years when you get that much rain it's going to affect the growth of the crop it's going to affect its stock and and its lodging and and that sort of thing i'm i'm reaching back to my agronomy <laughs> <laughs> one agronomy class <laughs> yeah no it definitely does and, and honestly we never breed for it the breeders never breed for that purpose right so we don't have any water logging uh, tolerance yeah. <laughs> for More that Kansas, matter we right don't get that on a regular basis <laughs> <laughs> but, but but in the western part of the state we're definitely selecting this year for uh, disease pressure, but especially for
far as trough strength. Mm -hmm. So Varias that could stand better uh, those big showers that we got every now and then and that nice and long rain filling period they were shining and, and the yields were really showing up this year so okay um now you mentioned today you were speaking about um some of the research work that you guys are working on and it's actual data from farmer cooperators right yes so that's a project that we're really excited about we started back in 2016 so we have now three years of data 2016 2017 and 2018 we did not collect anything yet for the 19 year uh, but we have three years of data and what we're doing is essentially we are reaching out to farmers uh, calling them on their cell phones and seeing if they're interested in participating on a survey for for the kansas state university there's a project that the kansas wheat commission is, is funding uh, and and we had about a 30 percent a positive response rate which is really good that for surveys for so surveys. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, right now we have data from about 700 uh, farms around Kansas uh, we are really learning a lot we're just starting to scratch the surface there but really the, the what I really enjoy about that is that we're going to growers we're asking them about uh, field specific management data right so gives us uh, give us three fields and three years of that field and how we manage from variety selection all the way to harvest so all the all the operations that we did in that field and so on and then in the end you can break down and see okay well let's go back in south central kansas and let's see how planting date is actually affecting our yield potential there how is fungicide affecting our use how so the one thing that i like is that we're learning from what is working what is not working for our growers mm -hmm. and then the other thing that i like as well is that Again, working with growers, you learn a lot. So we're seeing many things that hmm, perhaps we never thought about these and that help guide our research moving forward. So some, some of our, our typical, oh, I always need to put 100 pounds of N on per acre because I've always done that kind of thing. Or are, are we seeing some of the, I don't want to say old wives tales, but maybe old farmers tales that are like, you know what, maybe we don't need to be doing it that way that we've done for quite so many years. Maybe it's not common or maybe it's not actually helping us. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point that you brought. So, for example, uh, on the nitrogen rate, mm -hmm. it, it did look like to us that uh, close to 100 units for north central Kansas was about where we stopped seeing a response to nitrogen. Okay. So maybe they were right there. But for south central, now we're looking at more of a 70. And for western Kansas, we saw no relationship with yield at all. Really? And typically, that's I mean, why was that? Uh, in western Kansas, they can count more with that residual nitrogen, the amount of nitrogen that they have to start the growing season. And so that's showing up in these farmers' uh, data that we have as well. Another very interesting thing, we're looking at, uh, at planting date. And so, for example, all the fields that we surveyed in, in western Kansas, uh, the optimum, if, I could, if those farmers could have planted that farm in one day, uh, and this is mostly northwest and, and west central Kansas, it would have been September 28th before that or after that we are decreasing our yield potential based on, on what we the data that we collected and a pretty steep actually in western kansas if you're going planting after about october 5th or so we're seeing about a four bushel per acre per day decreasing yield potential again keeping in mind that it's more of a west central and north central not necessarily a southwest um, data there we didn't have a lot of response in the southwest you really work with six different kansases don't you <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Yes, very different conditions throughout the state. Huh. But again, we're learning a lot of things. I mean, uh, out of this brief amount of uh, look that we took at the data so far, fungicides, I mean, were, were very, very important in these last three years. Uh, especially in high yielding years, we're seeing differences of 10 or even 15 bushels per acre, depending on the variety. Uh, 
in a drier year not so much but still four or five bushels per acre even in a more dry year there from I mean again this data that we collected from our farmers so very excited with that project we're going to be continuing uh, and we'll be glad to talk to any farmer who would like to participate we try to make it as painless as we can <laughs> and, and if you have good rat yeah if you have good records it's, it's a quite easy survey that we have going on and okay. a lot of learning so well, now, real quick, um, we're going into planting season. We're about a month or so out, or, or I guess it, well, we are almost a month or so out. Um, what are guys asking about now? What are what are the hot things that they need to be mindful of, considering we had so much rain and we had so many different challenging conditions this last year that left the fields in the state that they're in? Yeah, that's a very good question. And uh, so... I guess a few different things, right? One, what they're actually asking about, and that's always varieties, mm -hmm. right? They want to know the newest varieties, what they should be planting, how they're going to get the next step, increasing their yields, and so on. There's a lot of new varieties coming out from K-State. We have a, a three new varieties coming out, and several other programs have as well. So definitely be looking for that information available for, and we don't need to go into each one now because it differs <laughs> for different parts of the state. But, yeah. but definitely be looking for that. There's a lot of good new varieties coming out that farmers should be taking a look at. Uh, but also, the two other things that we don't get asked as much, but, but I think need to be on producers' mind right now, one for western kansas with these rains and, and uh, we de definitely need to be looking for volunteer wheat control yeah. right as soon as that break volunteer the bridge. yes break the bridge because a couple of years back we already have that uh widespread uh, infestation of wheat streak mosaic we don't want to repeat that so make sure to control the volunteer wheat make sure that it's dead at least a couple of weeks before uh, you're planting our, your wheat crop and try to convince your neighbor to do that as well right uh, and for maybe for more of the central Kansas, uh, we saw a lot of head scab this last mm -hmm. year. A lot of head scab. That's really going to affect the quality of the seed going in. And so, uh, if you if you harvested uh, uh, and even if you try to blow some of that seed behind out of the combine, those those, those shriveled kernels. Uh, we still see quite a bit of response in our research whenever we're looking at the seed cleaning there. So going from uh, just back in the, out, uh, in the back of the combine to an air screen and, and even better to a gravity table. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you have a good quality seed going in, uh, heavy test weight seed going in, especially important this year. Um, and if you're saving seed and you had scab last year, consider a fungicide seed treatment as well. That's uh, before you even put it in the ground. Definitely take care. Uh, make sure that you have good quality seed, which this year can be a concern. This year, uh, I was talking to some seed producers that they are having 40% clean out. So we definitely don't want to go to the bean and put that directly into the ground this year. Okay. Well, thank you, Romulo, for uh, coming out to Sorghum slash Wheat U and for coming on to HBJ Talk today. And if you want more information about what we talked about at Sorghum slash Wheat U, um, visit hbj.com or look for it in uh, future issues of the Print High Plains Journal. Thank you again. Thanks, Jenny. Appreciate the opportunity. We are here today at Sorghum U slash Wheat U with uh, Terry Griffin, who just spoke to us about making sense out of blockchain technology. It's been a fun day today. Uh, Dr. Griffin, let's talk about what you wanted to mention to growers, what, what was important for them to know when walk away from your speech today. 
there's three aspects that we wanted to talk about. One was uh, data quality, uh, another one was data security, and a third one was data connectivity, or in particular wireless connectivity through uh, cellular providers. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the quality of farm data that's needed or wanted? Or So there's an age-old problem that I've been dealing with I refer to as analyst problem. So me, as the analyst, I receive data from a farm. And when it comes to me, I have very little information about the quality aspects of that data. I do not know if the combine harvester yield monitor was calibrated at all, or even if it was done, if it was, if it was correctly calibrated. And I also don't know who along the chain of custody of that data file has manipulated it. Someone may have thought, well, the farm equipment operator may have thought, well, that was a mistake that they made, so they wanted to uh, remove certain points or move them around. The crop consultant or the sales agronomist may have their intentions for improving the data, but yet manipulating it along the process. So by the time it gets to the analyst, they have no uh, insurance of what had been done to the data, and therefore they lack confidence that any farm management recommendations from data that's been uh, potentially modified in improper ways of what they can be done with that. So that's one area I think distributed ledger technology, aka blockchain, can provide us with some assurance about data quality. So that quality is really, really key to this though because you need to know just like it just like a paper ledger at home, mm -hmm. you know, that big giant paper ledger that my dad took care of, he had all of his crop inputs mm -hmm. and, and all of his little leg illegible handwritten scribbles here and there. We all knew dad and mom were the only ones that touched that ledger. But a blockchain, it actually tracks who touched that data point at any point in time, when they did it, why they did it, it tracks it all and it gives you a verification so that you know, say somebody wants to enroll in a sustainable grain program, they can actually prove to that third-party auditor, ta-da, this is what you did. That's correct, Jennifer. And when we talk about blockchain, when I write about it in academic terms, I say distributed ledger technology. And that's what you describe with that paper ledger. But instead of being paper with a pencil, think of it as being electronic and digital. And so when every time there's a, anytime there's a transaction, whether it's financial or chain of custody for grain or uh, farm data, there is a record of who did what and when to that grain or to that data. And so blockchain is a digital distributed ledger technology. I'm going to have to learn that new phrase, <laughs> digital distributed ledger technology. Okay, I can work with that. I can work with that. So one of the, the key problems, though, is um, that, that people came bringing up is security of the data. Mm -hmm. I mean, how easy is it to hack into our combines and, and, and our yield is monitors? Is even doing that? Is there people hacking into stuff like that? Well, if I was a nefarious hacker, I would not necessarily hack into a combine, a one farmer's data set. I would wait until farmers put all the data from all the farmers together in the community and then that's when I, as a nefarious hacker, would make my move. So I think individual farmers are safe, but if there is value to hacking a data set, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when it occurs. So it will happen. Uh, we will have farm data sets in the community that have value, 
and the same types of people who build security around it will be the same types of people who try to hack that security. You know, we mentioned a lot about um, Wi-Fi connectivity out here. I mean, Kayleen, you, you just got Wi-Fi over to your, your operation. Yeah, we live in the black hole, and it doesn't always work. And what areas are they having connectivity issues? Is there a better service than something? Should they just be hardwired? What do you think about well, for a lot of the technologies we're talking about, it needs to be wireless. Yeah. yeah. So if we're collecting data in the field and we want to push it to the cloud, it's wireless. Mm-hmm. And when we're applying a blockchain technology to data quality, in particular yield monitor data or as applied data from our applicators, well, we need to have the combine connected to the internet during the calibration process to build the blockchain around that particular data set. And then as the data is being collected, uh, in particular, when modifications to that data happen, it must be connected to the internet in order for this to be feasible. And from the entire point of it, the, it if it drops a connection, you got to start over. Well, I, and I envision if we drop a connection, we'll still start continue collecting data, but we would not be able to make modifications to said data set until we were connected such that the blockchain could track those transactions. But there's a lot of, you mentioned the black hole, and there's (laughs) more than one, right? So I I struggle when I leave, you know, Manhattan is great. We have great wireless connectivity, Mm -hmm. but once we leave campus and go to West Kansas, wherever we define West Kansas to start, Mm -hmm. uh, internet connectivity or wireless connectivity uh, is a barrier and I challenge farmers to you know, take their cell phones and find one of those apps that measure upload and download speeds and just kind of be cognizant about connectivity and, mm-hmm. and I think uh, they'll find that many of their fields may not have signals strong enough to test. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be something that we're going to want to chat with you more about later on and in future podcasts and that sort of thing. We love that you came out to Sorghum slash Wheat U. I'm going to get it right one of these days, Kayleen. It's alphabetical. It's alphabetical. <laughs> um, we just appreciate that you came out here and, and chatted with our folks today. And if you want to understand or you want to learn more information about um, what Dr. Griffin talked about today, we're going to have full coverage um, in print and online always, anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks, Dr. Griffin. Thank you, guys. It's good to be here. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on August 13th. Corn was down at $3.51. Wheat was down at $3.39. Milo was down at $2.96. And soybeans were up at $7.54. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our range and pasture management issue with a story from contributor Lacey Newland. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes August 26th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com.
Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of